Hey there. Thanks so much for joining us for the Life Support Podcast. It's where we talk to providers, community members, experts, and others about their experiences with health and the systems that create it. Thanks for listening this week. I'm actually out on a walk with my kids. You might hear a little bit of background noise and just thinking about how hard it would be to be separated from them by something I really couldn't control and very thankful for this episode with Dr. Edmonds where she shares with us some of what she knows about treating opiate use disorder among perinatal women and really encourages us to have best practice in clinical care and also make sure that we double check our stigma in that conversation. Hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Okay, so to get us started, can you please introduce yourself and really tell us um, how how you ended up uh, doing the work that you're doing? Sure. Um, my name is Sarah Edmund, and I am originally from North Carolina, but I currently live in the D.C. area. I am an obstetrician gynecologist, and I practiced clinically for about eight years um, in all different types of settings, uh, private practice, hospital-based practice. Um, I worked at fairly qualified health centers, and um, I just decided to transition from clinical practice into healthcare consulting um, after working for about eight years. So currently I am a senior medical advisor at JBS International, and this is where I contribute my medical and my clinical expertise to research and evaluation um, and management consulting projects. So, um, you know, in terms of OBGYN, I chose that specialty because for the most part, it's it's a happy specialty. It's a, it's a special time, you know, in a, in a woman in a family's life. And um, just to really be a part of that was, was very special. And, you know, really my, my, um, my drive and, um, you know, my goals are really to just to provide quality care for women and just really champion uh, women's health. Absolutely love that. Um, and just, again, kind of that, that joy of um, helping to grow and expand families. Um, but I, I think that that resonates for a lot of folks um, that are doing similar work. Um, but I imagine now your call hours are a little bit better. Is, is that right? Well, actually, you know, I don't uh, practice clinically um, at all right now. Okay. Um, I'm basically lending my, you know, my experience and my expertise in these kind of consulting roles where I'm able to really, you know, touch a larger um, amount of women. Um, I'm able to, you know, help affect policy and, you know, um, provide education, provide, um, you know, technical assistance to, you know, um, federal, you know, employers, federal contractors, um, just to really, you know, overall improve um, women's care in the United States. Absolutely. And I, I was just kind of teasing, maybe it was top of brain because my, my husband um, woke up this morning and he was on call last night. It's like, oh, there was another delivery at like 2 a.m. And oh so I'll, I'll tease with him later and he'll be like, maybe I should go into consulting. Yes. I do not miss that. I do not miss that at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll get us back on track. Sorry to take okay. us off track. But um, next question is really, can you, can you tell me about your experience working uh, with this population of pregnant and postpartum women with opiate use disorder? 
Sure. Um, you know, my experiences uh, have really varied um, throughout my career. Um, the majority of my experiences, um, you know, with pregnant and postpartum women um, with opiate use disorder, uh, during my residency training, it was primarily with underserved populations. And um, at that time, uh, really, the kind of mainstay was using methadone. Uh, that was really, that was all uh, that was available at that time. And as I transitioned into private practice, I saw patients really from all walks of life uh, that had opiate use disorder, you know, whether or not it was from illicit sources, whether or not it was from misusing prescription opioids. So that was, you know, kind of the the shift um, that I've uh, encountered. And with the availability of uh, buprenorphine, um, that really kind of helped patients become more compliant. And I found that they were very motivated um, on that particular regimen because it was something that they self-controlled. And, um, you know, that really made a, a difference in, in, uh, in their care. Great. It's good to hear some of those good experiences in terms of patient care. Uh, I think one reason we're having this conversation today is just some of that um, reticence and kind of um, hesitation um, with some providers, just knowing uh, that in many senses, the needs of pregnant women differ from, uh, you know, your general patient population. So what, what are some things that you would say are important for providers and really their care teams who take care of pregnant women and mothers to know about opiate use disorder in this population? So the, the needs of pregnant women uh, with opiate use disorder, they're very unique. And, you know, we really have to treat that as such. So providers will need to, you know, they'll need to modify and tailor some of the elements of kind of standard prenatal care uh, to really individualize um, a plan specific for that patient. Uh, so for example, ACOG, which is the American uh, College of Obstetrics and Gynecology, uh, they really recommend doing uh, certain expanded screening, including uh, screening for sexually transmitted infections. You know, since we know that in this particular population, uh, they're at higher risk for HIV and AIDS and uh, hepatitis B and C. Um, additionally, providers should know that they will require additional resources to really provide a, a comprehensive, excuse me, a comprehensive um, care plan for the patient. So, consultations with you know anesthesiologists, with your maternal fetal medicine specialist, uh, with the pediatricians in the area, and with behavioral health and you know likely social services in the area. So, um, just to kind of round out the team to make sure that the patient has the the best care possible. Great. And really, I think that that team-based approach um, is so helpful for anybody in any work setting, but I think particularly when you talk about, again, the unique needs of uh, pregnant women. Uh, going on that a little bit further, what words would you say to a family practice provider, especially one practicing in maybe a rural or underserved area who's nervous about managing um, OUD treatment for pregnant and postpartum women? You know, it's definitely understanding that this, you know, could be potentially daunting, you know, if you have, you know, very little to no experience. But I would really like for these providers to know that managing these patients really is a team effort and they shouldn't feel as though they are in this alone. 
So, you know, it's important to identify these specialized providers, these specialized consultants that are in your area to really assist you um, and guide you with uh, a treatment plan plan to care for the patient. Um, oftentimes we, you know, we realize that there are areas where, um, you know, there are medically underserved um you know, patients in terms of not having enough physicians or, you know, not having access to these specialists. And these specialists and, you know, consultants realize that there are areas that they're not able to physically get to, but they can provide, uh, you know, resources, they can provide telemedicine visits and, um, you know, really help you to take care of these patients. So just know that, you know, you're, you're not alone in this effort and, you know, definitely, you know, reach out um, when needed. Great. I, I think that that, again, is really helpful because particularly practicing a lot of the providers that we work with practice in pretty rural areas and don't necessarily have great access to colleagues down a hallway or in the same building. And so exactly. Just, yeah. Just, just to think about that as, um, you know, you can have that remote team, which I think we're all getting more used to. But Exactly. Still- yes. Times are definitely changing, um, you know, as a result of, of um, you know, COVID and the expansion of telemedicine. So, I think, uh, you know, that'll really be, um, you know, something to use in the future um, to to really connect, um, you know, with providers across the country. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And a huge support, again, to those providers that are really responsible for the bulk of the care in these rural areas and need that support because they're it's not their job to necessarily be expert in um, some of these really um, specific populations. So again, reflecting on some of the concerns that providers might have, could you share with me some of the concerns that you have when you're managing the treatment of a woman with OUD? You know, I have found that it has been particularly challenging to manage the common aches and pains associated with pregnancy and then managing pain during labor and delivery and then even postpartum. So, you know, because of, you know, the increased drug tolerance, the hypersensitivity, you know, these patients, you know, they do require higher doses of opioids to achieve, you know, adequate pain control. And, you know, this can be a delicate balance, um, especially if an epidural is not desired. So I've, I've found that, you know, this can be particularly challenging because you definitely want to provide, um, you know, the best experience, you know, for the patient possible, um, make sure that their pain is adequately addressed without, uh, compromising their, you know, sobriety without compromising, um, you know, the the gains that they have made. So um, I've I think that's that's been really challenging. And you know, working with anesthesiologists and the pharmacists in the hospital, uh, really, you know, they can really assist you with a pain medication regimen that will allow the patient to have adequate pain control. So I'm hearing a theme here. You have yes. a team, use them. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, um, it's it's definitely, you know, something where the more you see it, the more comfortable you will be. But, you know, still every every case is different. So, you know, it's almost, you know, it could be, you know, almost like a new experience each time. And, you know, definitely to, to reach out and make sure that, uh, you know, you're you're plugged into to your medical community at large will, will really, you know, help you in the long run. 
Love that. And I guess uh, just a simple question kind of in follow-up. I, I think we've been kind of hinting at this through the conversation, but you know, I think that a lot of people get nervous about safety of MAT in pregnant women. Can, can I just ask you, how, how safe is MAT for pregnant women? Well, you know, <clears throat> according to ACOG, for pregnant women with opioid use disorder, um, the use of uh, methadone or buprenorphine is actually uh, recommended and preferable to doing any type of uh, supervised medical withdrawal. So as of right now, uh, buprenorphine is uh, recommended during pregnancy uh, as a monoproduct, meaning that we, we're going to use it alone without adding naloxone. Um, we want to do this because um, we want to avoid any potential, excuse me, avoid any potential exposure uh, to naloxone, which you know will will knock the patient into withdrawal. Um, buprenorphine does have the potential for misuse, so patients really need to be you know monitored for the risk of diversion of their medication. But, you know, MAT has been demonstrated to uh, prevent withdrawal symptoms and cravings. Uh, it definitely helps prevent overdose. Uh, we know that it Im actually improves adherence to prenatal care and addiction treatment programs. It also reduces the risk of certain obstetric complications, including uh, preterm delivery and uh, low birth weight. Uh, the thing is, though, there is, although there is no known risk of birth defects with um, MAT, patients should still know that, um, you know, experts are unable to determine whether or not there might be any developmental problems for the infant as a result of uh, their, their maintenance therapy. But as of right now, there are no known um, increased birth defects. So, so overall, you know, the ACOG and um, certain other um, medical societies do recommend um, using um, MAT in, in pregnant women. So from a non-clinical perspective, you know, I think about in Idaho, um, more than 50% of the maternal mortality reviews last year had a component of um, opiate overdose. And so when you kind of hold up those two options um, of treating um, substance use um, versus not treating substance use, you know, that safety question, I, I really appreciate exactly. you saying, you know, this is, this is really recommended. Um, and you know, again, just kind of holding up those those two different outcomes. And one one other thing that I think has been discussed more, which is great, um, but uh, I haven't heard much conversation around um, the intersection with opiate use disorder is postpartum depression. Can can you talk about is is there a relationship between opiate use disorder and postpartum depression? You know, we we do know that oftentimes these patients do have uh, mental health comorbidities, you know, especially depression, history of trauma, and even PTSD. So um, those women with opioid use disorder in pregnancy, actually, you know, they should continue their, um, their MAP postpartum because, you know, this period, we, we call it the fourth trimester. Um, you know, it's associated with, you know, those new stressors of, of caring for a new baby. You've got your lack of sleep. And then, you know, add to it, you know, there may be a loss of your insurance and your access to treatment. 
And, um, you know, as a result, relapse occurs more often postpartum. So, uh, you know, we definitely want to screen for postpartum depression um, as routine and uh, make sure that patients have access to postpartum uh, support services, particularly um, OUD treatment and uh, relapse prevention programs. So, you know, this is this is a great question and it's something that we're definitely um, definitely uh, looking at now. Great. I'm glad to hear it. And I, I think one of, in, in addition to mental health issues, one of the other things that I think of for women with opiate use disorder, um, particularly pregnant and mothering women, is stigma, um, just as an immense um, right. barrier to services and health and wellness. Can you talk a little bit about the stigma against um, perinatal women with OUD? Yes. You know, unfortunately, there are uh, barriers uh, to pregnant women with OUD getting optimal care. And, you know, this includes, you know, some of the legal ramifications uh, in states with laws that penalize these patients. Um, you know, there's there's shame, you know, associated with um, with OUD. And then, you know, there are policies of, you know, medical organizations to actually report patients um, who um, engage in substance use during pregnancy. So as a result of all this, there can be either incomplete um, prenatal care or lack of prenatal care and, you know, potential detrimental outcomes for not only, um, you know, the mother, but the fetus as well. So, you know, it's, it's really time that, you know, we, we focus on uh, looking at the patient as a whole and, you know, just really saying, you know, this is a, a person, this is a woman with opioid use disorder and, you know, how can we best serve um, serve her during, during, during and after her pregnancy. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, acknowledging that stigma can happen within her community, within her family, and then also probably within the healthcare setting too. Yes. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, it's, you know, I think certain people, um, you know, still kind of have a mental image of, you know, a person that they think about, you know, that abuses opioids and it's just not standard anymore. So, you know, we really need to kind of break down, um, you know, these, you know, break down these barriers, address these stigmas and, you know, just really provide the, the best care possible. Absolutely. And really centering a woman um, or a mothering person and her children um, within that, uh, I think is so critical and brings me to um, another question, which, you know, I'm, I'm somebody who's a mother. And so when I think about one of the biggest kind of connections for me in my life, it's certainly being a mother. And um, if I do kind of the mental exercise of putting myself in the position of somebody who's um, potentially struggling with substance use disorder and um, feels like um, they're highly stigmatized and potentially, you know, that my condition is going to report, uh, be reported um, to somebody that can control custody of my children. Um, that That's a really scary thought exercise for me and um, really kind of hits home for me. So thinking about that, do you find as a provider that concerns about custody are really a major barrier to women who do seek care? Yes, absolutely. You know, you really, you know, um, touched on something there. You know, there is, you know, the fear of, you know, being incarcerated for uh, illicit drug use or for exposing, you know, their fetus to illicit drugs. And then 
fear um, of losing custody of, you know, their new baby and, you know, any other children, you know, that they may have. So, um, you know, it's actually, you know, been demonstrated that, um, you know, policies on whether and when to assume custody of a newborn um, or an older child um, whose mother has untreated um, opioid use disorder, it actually, you know, it varies, you know, by state, it varies by county, and it can even vary, um, you know, within the hospital system itself. So, you know, it's, you know, again, you know, we talked about, you know, removing these stigmas, you know, if we provide, you know, the proper care, the proper support, there's no reason to think that uh, a woman or a parenting person would not be able to, um, you know, take care of, of their children as long as they are, you know, maintained on their therapy and have, you know, really the, the support that they need. Great. Um, that is the end of my official questions, but sorry, would you mind if I, um, ask you just one or two questions that kind of came up in the conversation? Okay, sure. So when we think about, um, this pregnant parenting person and their family that really exists, not only in the context of the healthcare system, but also this broader, um, you know, neighborhood and, um, your parents, children, um, chosen family, what, what can those non-clinical pieces um, people do to support um, a pregnant or perinatal woman with um, opiate use disorder? So really those community and family supports, what, what should those be? You know, that's a, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I definitely think it's important to, you know, gather your village, um, you know, whenever, um, you know, you have the, the ability to expand your family, it definitely, you know, can, can help kind of ease, uh, some, you know, these transitions and, you know, a woman with OUD, you know, definitely, um, you know, can, can definitely use that village. I think it's important for, uh, for those people to really educate themselves you know, they can seek out um, resources online through ACOG. They do have, you know, resources for lay people, you know, on how they can best support, you know, someone in their lives that, you know, is struggling with this. Um, I think basically, you know, it's a matter of, you know, meeting people where they are, you know, understanding that this is a, a person with, you know, a disease and um, a disease that can be managed. So, um, you know, just, just, you know, making sure they educate themselves and, you know, just really, you know, wanting to provide that support, um, to their tiller of loved one. That's great. And I think that that really, um, hits on a lot of the content that we wanted to make sure we kind of circled on. Thanks so much for listening. Please find us on social or our website to learn more about what CHU does and how to support with and engage our work until next time. Let's all support each other with a little life support.